Zechariah 14, the coming day of the Lord. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his, sheet, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, Neither day nor night, but evening time, there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site, from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's winepresses. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security." And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep 
the Feast of Booths. And on that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord, and the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as bowls before the altar, and every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them, and there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Thank you. How far into the future do you like to plan? Maybe one year or maybe three years or maybe five years? I like to look about one week into the future. And this is why I am not very good at calendaring or vision, uh, because my, my look out to the future is about one week. That's about the max for me. But this is something, by God's grace, that I am working on improving, both my calendaring and my ability to do vision and leading and so on. But Zechariah 14 is a glimpse into the future. How far into the future, we don't know. What will the future be like? Well, we don't know for sure, but we do have some clues. But, just like other prophetic and apocalyptic writings, Zechariah favors word pictures over specific details. So, kids, you might think of like a, uh, a comic book or a, uh, a graphic novel or something like that, where there's lots of pictures, but not quite as many words. That's what we get oftentimes when we read prophetic or apocalyptic literature in the Bible. Word pictures that are generally describing what things will be like. This is not to say that Zechariah 14 is not clear. It's just not clear in the way you'd hope it would be if you were looking for material to write best-selling novels about being left behind at the end of the world. But this we know for sure. At the end of history, when Jesus is finally established as king, God's people will dwell forever in security and purity. And this is the security and purity of His glorious kingdom. Kids, I wonder if you have ever had this moment where you are having some kind of a scuffle, some kind of a, a fight, a skirmish, I'm trying to figure out what words might be used in, in this gathering in the various households. Some kind of conflict with your sibling, with your brother or sister. You're not getting along the way that you should. And maybe you got a little aggressive and, and maybe you used your hand to strike, to hit your brother or your sister. Maybe there's some loud crying that takes place. Maybe, maybe there's not like any physical violence, but maybe you said something unkind 
to, to your brother or your sister. And uh, your mom or your dad hears it from the other room. And you hear something like this. Don't make me come back there. What does that mean when mom or dad says, don't make me come back there? There's going to be trouble, right? If mom or dad have to make their way back to your room to deal with and to to keep the two of you from fighting anymore, there's going to be trouble. You better stop what you're doing. Zechariah 14 is a bit like that. Zechariah uses word pictures and he describes what it's going to be like when, hear it, Jesus comes back down here. Zechariah is letting us know this is what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. Since God has revealed to us in this way what the end of the world will be like, we should all prepare now to participate forever in Jesus' kingdom. I wonder if a well-meaning Christian at some point said to you, you know, if you just accept Jesus into your life, everything is going to be great. Have you heard that? Or maybe something like, if you just trust Jesus, you will never be sad or suffer ever again. And then you hang out and you watch Christians and you're like, well, I don't know what's going on, but I was promised that you all were going to have perfect lives, and it seems like you all are walking through a lot of the same hardship that everybody else goes through. This is what Jesus said, and I'm so glad that Ryan already shared it with us. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, you will have suffering in this world. That's Jesus' word to us. You will have suffering in this world. Paul follows it up in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he says this, All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In Zechariah 14, God gathers the nations, and God allows His people to suffer. Look at verse 1. Look, a day belonging to the Lord is coming when the plunder taken from you will be divided in your presence. I will gather. Notice that. I, God is speaking. God is going to gather. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city will be captured. The houses looted and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. This does not sound at all like living your best life now, does it? 
Life is not easy for God's people. In fact, life is often very, very hard. This is why we are so dependent on God's sufficient grace, because life is so very, very hard. Because Jesus has told us in this world, you will have trouble. Because we read Paul's writings, if you want to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. Why does God do this? Why do followers of Jesus endure loss and pain and humiliation? Zechariah's answer to that question is one verse earlier. It's back in chapter 13, and it's verse 9. I will put this third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. And then what? Well, then they will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. God catalyzes devotion through purification. He uses severe hardship to purge us of worldly desires. God designs our darkest griefs and our deepest losses and our greatest pains to bring our closest held sins right up to the surface so that we repent and receive His forgiveness, and enjoy richer fellowship with Him. Tremendous spiritual blessing often comes only through severe earthly trials. Have you found this to be true, child of God? Have you found this to be true? God catalyzes devotion through purification. Perhaps you figured that if you became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you reasoned, that may uh, create a little social awkwardness. Maybe there would be an occasional brief moment of shame at work or school, some kind of relational conflict in your family, but Zechariah's description of this suffering is far worse, isn't it? This is far worse than social awkwardness or relational conflict or a little moment of shame at work or school. And just in case we are tempted to think that Zechariah is using these chilling words just to make a point, you know, hyperbole. This is from the New Testament book of Acts. Early in the life of the church, we read this, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom 
of God. Necessary. Here's a question for us. Am I prepared to lose everything? Am I prepared to experience severe pain? Am I prepared to be shamed for the glory of Jesus? And if not, then what needs to change so that I can answer yes? I'm glad that the text emphasizes not the suffering, but the glory that comes after. Do you see that little word in the verse? It is necessary to go where? Through. Through. God brings His people through many hardships. Look at verse number 3. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the west, sorry, and half to the south, and you will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend to Azal. Does it seem like God is late, child of God? Like His deliverance is somehow delayed? Like you keep expecting God to show up and to make life better, and instead, He seems intent on taking you through hardship after hardship after hardship. It can seem like God's deliverance is delayed. Like He must somehow be late It can begin to feel like the Israelites, right? You've been delivered from your bondage, your slavery in Egypt, and then you come up right up to the Red Sea, and your path into the promised land is blocked. And then when it seems like, well, this can't possibly become any worse, then what? You turn around and you see the Egyptian army hurtling down the sand dune towards you, and now you are pinched in, and deliverance seems delayed. When it seems like deliverance is delayed, when your circumstances just keep getting worse, when your hope fades, like screen printing on your favorite t-shirt, I would love for you to remember that God has delivered His people before, and He will deliver them again. God brings His people through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Let this promise strengthen your faith. Let this promise galvanize your hope. After the flood, God 
made a wonderful promise to Noah. God told him that the seasons of the year and even the cycles of day and night would continue until the end of the earth. But there's something here for us to notice because on this day, God disrupts the earth's normal cycles. Look down at verse number 6. On that day, there will be no light. The sunlight and moon will diminish. It will be a unique day known only to the Lord without day or night, but there will be light at evening. What does Zechariah want us to know here? Well, God made this promise to Noah that the cycles of the seasons would continue, that the day and night would continue. And now Zechariah says, but on this day, the day and the night, those cycles come to an end. He's drawing our attention. This is the end of earth's history as we know it. The return of the Lord is the long-awaited goal of all of earth's history. And when the Lord returns, His return comes with this incredible blessing. It's in verse number 8. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it toward the eastern sea, and the other half toward the western sea in summer and winter alike. What is this? This water that never stops flowing out of Jerusalem. It represents perpetual blessings, the blessings of salvation on all those who participate in Jesus' kingdom. What is God going to do on that day? Jerusalem is exalted, and the surrounding region is made flat. God's city, His church, His people is going to be elevated, and Jesus will finally and formally be established as king. It's verse number 9. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth. The Lord alone, and His name alone. What will it be like when everyone, everyone submits to Jesus as King? Look down at verse 11. People will live there. And never again will there be a curse of complete destruction. So Jerusalem will dwell in security. How does that sound? No more curse. No more sin. Only security. John fills in a few more details in the Revelation. This is from chapter 22. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, 
clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse." The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because what? The Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. When Jesus is finally established as king, God's people will dwell forever in security and purity that marks his glorious kingdom. How are you preparing now to participate forever in Jesus' kingdom? This is an important question. Kids, this is an important question. How are you preparing now to participate forever in Jesus' kingdom? Do you know why it's important? Because not everyone participates in Jesus' kingdom. There is security for those who are within the kingdom. But those who are outside the kingdom, no security. Instead, we have this in verse 12. This will be the plague with which the Lord strikes all the people who have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, a great panic from the Lord will be among them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of one will rise against the other. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected, gold, silver, and clothing in great abundance. For those inside the kingdom, security. For those outside the kingdom, what does Zechariah envision? Rottenness, a plague, fighting amongst yourselves, war, conflict, and all of the worldly comforts, the gold and the silver and the clothing, all of the things that make us feel comfortable and satisfied, all of those things stripped away. No security for those outside of the kingdom of Jesus. How are you preparing now to participate forever in Jesus' kingdom? Notice again, the focus is not 
even here on the severity of the suffering, but on God's gracious inclusion of outsiders into his kingdom. Look at verse 16. Then all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of armies, and to celebrate the festival of shelters. Hear this, Jesus loves turning enemies into citizens of the kingdom. He loves to turn enemies into citizens of his kingdom. What grace! What grace! Outsiders, foreigners, those who are not deserving of the promises of God, sinners like you and me, transformed into worshipers so that we may participate in the kingdom. Don't wait. Prepare now to participate forever in Jesus' kingdom. We have seen the security of the kingdom, and now Zechariah draws our attention to the kingdom's purity. It's down in verse number 20. I, I love this. I love this. These are my favorite verses, I think, after verse 9. Verse 9 was my favorite verse till I got to verse 20. Do you remember being in high school or maybe in junior high? And um, my family had, we had enough, but I don't know that we ever had a lot. And, and there were kids who were wearing these great, cool jeans. And the jeans all had this label. I think it was Jerbo or something like that. That probably dates me a little bit, but that's okay. Um, and everybody, it seemed like, had these cool jeans, except for me. Everybody was wearing these brand name jeans, except for me, and Doc Martens. Is that right? Those are in the same era, right? That tells you, I did not have any Doc Martens. L look what happens here in verse 20. On that day, the words, holy to the Lord will be on the bells of the horses. Now, this should catch our attention, but maybe it doesn't. But holy to the Lord was like exclusive branding for the high priest. You couldn't just get a t-shirt in Israel that said, holy to the Lord on it. Only the high priest could have that kind of exclusive branding like those classy jeans that I didn't have. But now, look at this. Even the horses in this kingdom are marked by holiness. The horses get in on holiness to the Lord. And not just the horses. The pots in the houses of the Lord will be like the sprinkling basins before the altar. So the, ba the basins, the pots that they used to use to catch the blood coming off of the sacrifices, now people are just cooking with those. They just go home and make food in pots that used to be reserved for catching the blood of sacrifice. Why? Because everything has been made holy. 
Not only that, our text ends with, uh, on that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of armies. This is not an ethnic exclusion. The idea here is, as Jody read us from the ESV, a traitor. Okay? No traitors in the house of the Lord. What what happens in the house of the Lord? You have those who set up shop, and they are selling trinkets in the house of the Lord. Or they are exchanging common money for money that you can use in the temple. Or you bring your filthy money, and you come in here, and we have these special sacrifices, holy lambs that we will sell you at an upgraded, upcharge price. What does Zechariah say? There's not going to be any traitors anymore in the house of the Lord. Why not? Because they can't fool anybody into thinking that they're selling something holy. Why not? Because everything is holy in the kingdom. Everything has been purified. On that day... When Jesus is established in his kingdom, God's purpose from before the beginning of the world will be complete. Ephesians chapter 1. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. At the end of history, when Jesus is finally established as King, God's people will dwell forever in the security and purity of His glorious kingdom. So with that day in mind, kids, with this day in mind, when Jesus comes back down here, how should we prepare now to participate forever in this kingdom? Well, first, let me urge you to believe in Jesus. If this vision of the end of history does not stir either a surging worship in your heart or a fearful recognition that you are on the outside of the kingdom, then let me ask you, friend, what is it that is deadening your senses? What is it that is deadening your spiritual sense? What is it that is not allowing you to see clearly That either King Jesus deserves all of my worship or I ought to be so afraid of not participating in his kingdom. How can you be so numb, so indifferent to what God declares will happen at the end of earth's history? Cry out to God for mercy. Ask God to give you mercy. Ask God to save you. You can do that right now. 
Ask God to give you eyes to see Jesus as good and glorious and satisfying. If you are not yet a citizen of His kingdom, Jesus loves to turn His enemies into citizens. And He will do that by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. He saves sinners. How? Because Jesus went to the cross. He suffered and He died the death that you should have died, the wrath of God that you should have absorbed. Jesus paid it all. He loves to turn sinners into citizens. If you are not yet a citizen of His kingdom, if you are a rebel, an enemy of God, then call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved today. Second, if by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, you are a participant in Jesus' kingdom, then let me ask you this. Can you gaze on this future? without longing for more of that holiness right now. If on that day, holiness will be perfected in you, would it not glorify Jesus to pursue more of that holiness right now? If our future is one defined by a kingdom of purity, can we not now cry out to God, Lord, make me more holy for the glory of your name? Bring me through suffering so that my closest held sins are surfaced so that by the power of the Holy Spirit I repent and receive your forgiveness, so that I enjoy richer fellowship with you. How should we prepare now to participate forever? First, believe in Jesus. Second, pursue holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And third, finally, my brothers and sisters, if, if this is our future, if it is a future securely dwelling forever in Jesus' kingdom, then we can be the most hopeful, the most purposeful, the most courageous, the most loving people right now. Let's not be cynical like Eeyore about the world or about the state of the church. Instead, let's remember that on that day, Jesus will be king. Let's not hide in a panic room hoping that suffering and persecution somehow don't find us. 
because they're going to find us. Let's not allow embarrassment to hold us back from proclaiming this gospel. Jesus' return is far more important, far more urgent than any parent saying, don't make me come back there. The king is coming. All of history is moving towards that day. Loss and pain and humiliation, they may very well be in our future. But God has given us His Word. And God has given us His Spirit. And He has given us this community of brothers and sisters to love and serve and worship and work and pursue holiness together. On that day, the Lord will become king. But until then, let's press on. Let's be faithful. Let's keep the faith. Let's prepare now to participate forever in Jesus' kingdom. Should we pray about that together? Let's do that. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We are so grateful to be your children. We are grateful to participate in this kingdom that has come, is coming. We are so grateful for all that we experience now of your grace. And we are so humbled to think about the future that you have firmly established in your word for all those who participate in your kingdom. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for helping us to see Jesus as beautiful and glorious and worthy of our worship, deserving of our honor and obedience. Thank you for giving us faith and granting us repentance, giving us life so that we might respond by believing and repenting. Father, we ask this for all those who are in this room. Some have not yet trusted in Jesus. Would you stir up inside of them this morning faith? Give them life. Oh God, help them not to leave this place without knowing for certain that they are participating now in this kingdom that is coming. We ask this for their good and for your glory. Oh God, we want to be faithful. We want to be faithful to the end. Whatever days you have given us here on this earth, keep us faithful to you. Please guard us and preserve us. Keep us from sin and foolishness. Guard our hearts from temptation. Help us to love and serve one another. Help us to love and serve our neighbors. Help us to go faithfully with this glorious gospel. 
Thank you for all that you have done and continue to do for us. We're grateful to be your children. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.